Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. My name is Brad. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. Man, um, in case you're visiting today or maybe you were at the lake or something last week, um, Got a, little, got a little wild in here last Sunday, okay? We knew it was coming. We knew, we knew the Lord has been moving in this place. Um, I have some really good news. God's still here this Sunday, right? And you're about to hear some of the greatest news that you're ever going to hear in your life. I can promise you that. And I hope your hearts are ready. Here's the deal. If you're visiting, we've been going through uh, the book of Genesis as uh, we started uh, when the school year started, man. It has been incredible. What we are going to do today is we're just going to come up for breath. We're going to take a little break from Genesis. We had our men's retreat this weekend, and this right behind me, this is my boy Shane who came and spoke to all the fellas at Manscursion this weekend, did an awesome job. And man, he is going to bring God's word to us today. Um, he pastored for many years up at uh, Cornerstone in Ames, Iowa, college students, where the Salt Network originated, uh, Iowa State University. Uh, he is, he's just been a dear friend and a great encouragement to me. He's going to tell you a little bit about himself, but I just, I just want to do this. I'm going to take a little bit of his thunder. Like he had, uh, he had four kids, okay, twice. And that wasn't enough, then he had an extra one. Like this dude is crazy, okay? Um, but dude, I mean, just tip my cap to you, right? Good work. Um, hey, I love this guy, he loves Jesus. Um, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go to God's word. So remain standing for the reading of God's word and just be prepared to be blessed. Let's read God's word together. Romans 8, 1, to 11, 1 through 11. You can read with me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Woo! Hill City Church, it is good to be here. We had a great time with the guys this weekend at the Manscursion, right? Yep. Good food, good friends, good competition. And guys, Jesus was there. And um, man, when you see, um, I mean, this is a, this is a good gospel-centered church. And so there's a lot of men in here who love Jesus. Um, in the world that we live in, that's a rarity, right? And so when you see a group of men who are like, hey, I'm, we're going to get together and we're going to have fun. We're going to do manly things. But like, it's like anchored, it's rooted in the person and work of Christ, like, it's, it's a beautiful thing every time. And so, huge privilege for me to be able to be here and to um, spend some time with you guys. Uh, like Brad said, I'm, um, I'm from Iowa, uh, like far northeast Iowa. Anybody from Iowa in here? Like three of you, okay. That's, that's just slightly fewer than the entire population of, of Iowa. But um, So I live in the far northeast corner, like 30 minutes from both north. They're both Minnesota and Wisconsin borders. Like if this is Hill City, that's Hill Country up there. And uh, um, if I ever plant a church up there, that's what I'm going to call it, Hill Country, because of you guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I pastored for 17 years, 12 of those. The, the most recent 12 years were at uh, Cornerstone Church in Ames. Just dear, dear brothers and sisters there. I was only a privilege to, um, to be able to pastor up there. And uh, about a year ago, we moved to the middle of nowhere in far north Iowa to be closer to family. There's some, some health issues going on there um, uh, with some family members, and it just felt like it was time for us to, to go and be, be close to home. So we do have um, this big, crazy crew of, um, yeah, that's us. That's us. Sometimes I forget their names and their ages and their birth dates, but... Um, <laughs> There's, there's nine the last time I counted. So we got six bio and three adopted uh, and a dog named Maisie. And she's a sheep-a-doodle. She's actually really great. Uh, it's my wife, Michelle, in the middle. She is like the glue that holds all of us together. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome. I considered getting a cat, but then after hearing the story of the Yorks last week, I was like, I'm not getting a cat and I'm not getting a Roomba. Um, I'm, I'm like... Plus, the thing with cats, like, cats are apex predators. I have never once thought that that sheep-a-doodle was going to murder me in my sleep. But, like, cats, you cannot be too sure of that. Like, they've got that look. You're like, like, you were made to hunt. That, she was made to cuddle. Like, <laughs> you were made to hunt. So, no cats. No cats, just, just a lot of, of kids. Um, guys, one of the kind, just, like, super kind acts of the Lord in my life was the intersection of... Um, our network of churches that we were, we were planting through Cornerstone uh, to be connected with the guys um, down here at Hill City. And um, yeah, uh, you know, Brad and Jenny and, and um, Michael and Ginger Robinson, like just like God has been so kind to us. And I've only been here once and it was, you guys were at the theater over there. So the first time in the new digs looks real good. Uh, well, then, like Brad said, I heard it got a little rowdy in here. Last week, um, people getting baptized, people who were supposed to be getting baptized, and then people who got baptized in their church clothes and got wet, and guys, that's crazy, and that's weird, 
And that's beautiful. <laughs> and that is what, that's what the Holy Spirit does in people's lives who say, like, hey, I'm with Jesus. <laughs> like, he brings transformation. And so I love it. Huge privilege to be here, um, to be here today. So uh, last week, you guys are going through, um, you're going through the book of Genesis. And last week, you heard bad news, and this mantra that, that Brad kind of kept reciting was that, like, the bad news gets worse. <laughs> the, there's bad news, and it's, it's, like, worse than you imagine. We have a problem, and it is a lot bigger than we thought. Today, like you said, we're coming up for error, and what we're going to see is, um, well, there is good news, and the good news actually gets better. The good news gets better. Better. We never will actually exhaust the, the greatness of the good news in our lifetime. But today we're going to look at an aspect of the good news that is so good and is actually, if, God, if there's a problem and it's bigger than we thought, God has a solution and his solution is actually bigger than we thought. Right. Guys, um, last week people in here were repenting. God was moving. Perhaps some of you got in those waters of baptism and you placed your trust in Jesus for the first time. And it is the best decision that you will ever make in your life. Responding to the good news that Jesus Christ has made a way for you to be forgiven for your sins. To, to no longer be considered an enemy of God. Whereas Brad said, the divine, all-powerful, holy perfect king of the universe actually stands as your adversary, but rather we get to be called his child, his friend, adopted into his family. But here's the deal. Guys, the enemy's crafty. The enemy is crafty. God's, God's adversary, the, the, the devil, he's crafty. And, and here's what he wants to do. Like He wants to discourage you. He wants to discourage you. One of the ways that he is likely, likely to do that is if you're a person who has walked from death to life, let me give this disclaimer. Today, we're, like, we're going to look at Romans 8, uh, 1 through 11. And, and this is, guys, there is a lot going on in that passage of text. We could spend literally years expositing the treasure that is Romans 8, 1 through 11, but we're just going to look at one overarching topic. This is a one-off from uh, your series, and we're just going to look at one overarching topic in it. But I need you to know, like, I'm speaking to, to believers here today. Like, I'm speaking to people who have said, like, my only hope in life and death is in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, I'm with him. He's my only hope. And it's like, like, that's who I'm speaking to today. That's who this message is for. If you're someone coming in here and be like, I don't know Jesus from Joe. One, I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You're in the right place. This is a place for you to seek. This is a place for you to hear about Jesus. And this is a place for you to ask honest questions and for you to get to know other people who say, yeah, Jesus is my only hope in this life. Okay? Um, uh, but, and so you have time, you have space to, to kind of wrestle with that. But I just want you to know this morning is a message for People who have put their trust in, in Jesus, right? And so if that's you, and maybe even if that's you recently, or maybe last week you stepped in the waters of baptism to say like, hey, I trust in Jesus, but I want the world to know it. Like the enemy is going to want to discourage you. 
And one of the ways that he is probably going to try to discourage you, or at least one of the ways that he consistently discouraged me for about 25 years of walking with Jesus, was to whisper this, like, yeah, sure, you're saved by God, but you're actually a disappointment to him. Sure, you're saved by God, but you're actually a disappointment to him. As my hope is that for at least a few in this room, perhaps this morning would be one of the more liberating junctures of your life. Right, where we're going to explore an essential, yet I think often, at least in my context, growing up in the church, what is often an overlooked aspect of the gospel that I pray would just breathe renewed life and renewed joy and renewed freedom into this room and actually make Jesus all the more treasured in your life. Right, so we're going to pray to that end, all right? So let's pray together. Jesus, my words are feeble. Your words bring life. Lord, I am a a, a sinner. I'm a wretch and a mess. Jesus, you are perfect. Lord, we together here corporately, we, we fall short of your glory But Jesus, the whole earth is full of your glory. And so here, now in this place, we are saying, would you come? Would your spirit pervade this place? Would you let your words of truth, which are already inspired by your spirit, would they be empowered to land on our ears and in our minds and in our hearts in a way that causes us to believe them and to do real battle against an enemy that would seek to discourage your people and render us useless for your kingdom purposes, but instead would you bring power for your name's sake and for the good of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you feel like a disappointment to God? Do you ever feel like a disappointment to God? Like you've believed the gospel... You placed your trust in Jesus at some point in your life. You believed that he lived, that he died, that he rose again for your redemption. That he is your only hope in this life and in the life to come. And you do your best to read his word. You know, you you, you pray before uh, meals and bedtime and maybe sometimes when you're driving along the road. When you're alone in your car, maybe you give a little money to the church or someone in need, other charitable causes. You try to be friendly and kind to those around you. And by most standards, you measure up, (laughs) at least to those who around you think that you do. But at the end of the day, like you're the one that's left with your thoughts. You're the one that knows the arguments you had with your spouse or a friend behind closed doors, the way that you treated another person poorly, the way you were quick to lash out at one of your children or a roommate because they didn't do something that you asked or they're just really getting on your nerves. You're the one that knows the website you clicked on, the thing you were scrolling through on your phone, the thoughts in your head, your actions behind closed doors, your time with 
boyfriend or girlfriend when no one else is around. Like you're the one left with those thoughts. And at the end of the day, you say, okay, my trust is in Jesus. But I'm such a disappointment to him. Is God pleased with me? And the answer being a resounding no. That's the voice of condemnation in our minds. If we're sober-minded and honest with ourselves, we would say, yes, I'm a Christian. My trust is in Jesus. My eternity is secure. But there is no way that a holy God, perfect in all his ways, could actually be pleased with me. I have to be a perpetual disappointment to God. As if that's you this morning, know this, the Apostle Paul has some very encouraging news for us. See, Romans chapter 8 starts with one of the more well-known, profound, and hope-filled statements in the New Testament. Many of you have had it memorized, and it says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no condemning words or accusations towards those who are in Christ. No, you're a disappointment to God. No, God is not pleased with you. No, wow, I thought you were a Christian. That's not how Christians are supposed to act or behave. Right? It's a bold statement that Paul is making here. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And if we're being honest, guys, for me, it's one that seems nearly impossible to believe when I consider the, the wretched man that I am. Right? I mean, on the outside, like a lot of guys would, would look in, a lot of people would look in and be like, oh, Shane's a great guy. Shane's, Shane's a nice guy. But when I search the depths of my motives for essentially everything that I do, no matter how noble my actions may seem, there is always like some sort of self-centered motive lurking. It's inevitable. There's like, I want my own glory. Ultimately, like I think that I'm at the center of my universe. I think and I act like I'm at the center of God's universe. And what we know from the scriptures with absolute clarity is this. God will not yield his rightful place at the center of all things to another. Therefore, obviously, he's a disappointment. Obviously, I'm a disappointment to him, right? You guys, well, fortunately, it seems like I and those in the room who can relate to what I'm saying, like we're not the only ones who have struggled with that. (laughs) Because the text that we just read, it starts with the word therefore. And since I know everybody in here is a theologian, we like good Bible students are going to do what we do when we see the word therefore. And we're going to ask, what is the therefore? Therefore, right? What is the therefore, therefore? And if we back up just a few verses, what we're going to see is that the Apostle Paul has been wrestling with some of these same very things, these very things that I'm wrestling with, that some of you are wrestling with. If you look just a few verses earlier, you can see what prompts Paul's therefore. 
Look at verse 15 in chapter 7. It says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Skip down, verses 18 and 19. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so what's Paul's conclusion as he reflects on his own life, as on his own habits, his own practices, verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, exclamation point. Right, that, is, that is Paul's capstone statement on the assessment of his life. What a wretched man that I am. Now, I don't know about you guys, but those sound like awfully condemning words to me. In fact, the Greek word that he uses there for wretched literally means miserable and suffering. Yet just two verses later, Paul will issue this statement. He'll say, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we go from what a wretched man I am, miserable and suffering because I don't do the things that I know that I should do. And I consistently do the things that I know that I shouldn't do. He goes from that to there is now no condemnation How do we get from wretchedness to no condemnation? From what a wretch am I to no condemning words spoken against me in just a mere two verses? Well, guys, the the modifying statement in there that causes us to go from A to B is verse 24, where Paul throws up the question, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he concludes with an exclamatory statement of gratitude, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's his answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I can go from wretched to free from condemnation. As we're going to look at uh, 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 what, what theologians call um, the doctrine of double imputation here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it in, in, in kind of diagram form here. So you're going through Genesis 3, bad remorse. What we see already is like man is sinful, okay? Like we can't obey the most simple of instructions from our holy good God. Um, and as you travel through the Old Testament, uh, uh, you, what, what you'll get to is where... Israel reaches a point where God hands down the law to his people, right? And in, in summary, there's, there's over 600 commands in, in the Old Testament, um, in the Hebrew law, and um, they're, they're kind of most well summarized by the Ten Commandments, right, that we read about in, in the book of Exodus. And here's what's true. When, when we see the commands as laid out in Scripture, they reveal something to us. We, humanity, like we're under the law, And it reveals in us something. What it reveals in us is that we're sinful. We're incapable of measuring up to the law. It was an impossibility for us. It's actually this like measuring rod to show us just how far short we fall from the glory of God. 
Well, we're not the only ones under the law. Jesus comes along. Jesus is also subject to the law. But what we see in the life and the testimony of Jesus is that he perfectly obeys. And what the law as a measuring rod against the life of Jesus reveals is that he's righteous. That Jesus is righteous. The law reveals in us our sin. It reveals in Jesus his righteousness. Now, um, I grew up like many of you in here hearing that the gospel was summarized as Jesus died for my sins. And let me tell you, that is the greatest news in all the world. It's the greatest news in all the world. In fact, um, so we've got, we've got the cross up there. The cross represents the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what happened on the cross was that our sin gets put on Jesus. Right? Through his sacrifice, our sin gets put on Jesus. Guys, it's the greatest truth in all the world. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that it is of the highest importance, of first importance, first significance, is that Jesus Christ died according to the Scriptures. Right? I mean, you mean to tell me that there is another who's taken the punishment for my sin, this man Jesus and his horrific death that we grieve every Lenten season, every time we partake in communion together, every time we open the scriptures and read more than two sentences in the Gospels right, or the epistles, he took on this horrifying, excruciating punishment that was reserved for me. He took that on himself on my behalf so that I can escape it. Because that's incredible news. That is the good news. And it's news that I freely accepted as a child. When I was six years old and my mom came into my bedroom to say bedtime prayers and I said, Mom, how do you ask Jesus into your heart? It was, uh, uh, that was the words that I had for it at the time. And my mom graciously and patiently walked me through the gospel and led me to trust in Jesus. And I believe as a six-year-old boy, like that's, that's when I walked from, from, from life to death. Other way around. From death to life. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> from death to life. Right? And yet... Despite believing the good news, I would say for the first 25 years or so of walking with Jesus, I continually struggled with this thought. I know I'm forgiven, but God has to be disappointed in me. Parents, you get this, right? Like, I, 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 I love my kids. I do. I love them. Every one of them has captured my heart and my affections, maybe some more than others, but um, <laughs> no, of course, I love them all the same, like any good parent. But guys, here's the thing. Oh, it gets worse. Don't worry. <laughs> like, nearly every single day at some point, my kids will disappoint me. They will. Like, like how's that for affectionate parenting, right? I love you. Man, you're a disappointment to me. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's true. 
Guys, maybe that's, maybe that's part of where my sense of the disappointment of God comes from. Maybe it's because I am so easily disappointed or irritated by others, including those who I'm closest with and love the most. And maybe for some of you in here, you can relate to that because you felt like you were always a disappointment to your dad. Or maybe there are some mom wounds in here where you grew up in a household where you felt like you could never live up to the expectations of a parent. But friends, God's not like that. And the reason he's not like that is because God has no needs. Paul tells the Stoics and philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He said that God made the world and everything in it. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. But he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything else. God, God is needless. And because God is needless, he doesn't need anything from you. One of my favorite lines in one of my favorite worship songs right now, the song Jaira, like the second line of the song, right? Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I could do to let you down. I love that. I love that. For him to be disappointed in me implies that he needs something from me. And guess what? He doesn't. Can we grieve the heart of God? Of course we can. Scriptures talk about like grieving the heart of God. But you got to understand, like, it's not because we let him down or because we disappoint, disappoint him as though he needed something from us and we simply failed to meet that inherent need that he had. Rather, it is the needlessness of God that permits him to love us unconditionally and anything that grieves his heart comes from a place of a Father who is perfect, who so desperately wants to see the flourishing of his children, who's crazy about his kids. And when his children go wayward or don't trust in him or don't find their satisfaction in him, the very one that they were created for, it hurts his heart not because he needs it, but because he loves you. And he wants you to experience what it is, the very thing that you were created for. But guys, furthermore, and most importantly, and this is where where the rubber meets the road here, know this, God's approval of me and God's approval of those of you who are in Christ, it's not rooted in my obedience, but rather it is rooted in the obedience of Christ. Because you see, the law couldn't make us righteous. The law actually did exactly what it was designed to do. It revealed in us our wretchedness. It revealed in Jesus his perfect righteousness. And so the gospel isn't just the good news that Jesus died for my sins, as glorious of a truth as that is, but it is also this, that Jesus lived For my righteousness. Paul describes it this way three chapters earlier in Romans 5. He says, 
So then as through one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone, right? That's our first parents, Adam and Eve, like Brad talked about last week in Genesis 3. As sin enters the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, it gets passed on through every generation. It infects us as well. Right, So just as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through one righteous act there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the first Adam, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so also through the one man's obedience, the second Adam, Jesus Christ himself, through that one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. It is the craziest exchange we could imagine. Through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, through his glorious resurrection, Jesus takes our sin and we get his righteousness. Because, guys, it's, it's one thing, like, it's one thing to be forgiven. Which again, it's the greatest news. Like, like, it's one thing to be forgiven. Know that I, I, God's not holding my sins against me. He's wiped those clean. It's another thing for God to perpetually delight in the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus. And that for actually, to actually be granted to us. He takes the sin, we get the righteousness. Now some might conclude that understanding double imputation gives us freedom to sin without consequence, right? Like if Jesus paid for my sins on the cross and now regardless of what I do, God looks at me through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. In other words, Jesus' perfect obedience is ascribed to me. Then can't I just do whatever I want to do? Like why is Paul even stressed out? Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. I'm secure. God's pleased with me. Because what I found is the exact opposite is true. Because the person who has seen the God of the Bible and who has sat in despair over their sin, who has a deep sense of their wretchedness, right, who knows the string of people that we've hurt because of decisions that we've made, who know our secret sins, right, people who, those of us who sit with our own thoughts, like when we understand and we sit in despair over our sin and when we like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Moses and John throughout the scriptures get a glimpse of the perfect, holy God who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth where the seraphim are hovering over him crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. When you see that God and you realize like Isaiah, woe is me for I am ruined. I'm about to die. Or John who sees Jesus in his resurrected state and just falls on his face like a dead man. Like when you're in that place and then you understand that the Savior has rescued you from that 
where you don't stand as an enemy of God, but rather a friend of God. We don't run from obedience. We run to it. Because maybe, just maybe, we start to believe that a God who would show that kind of kindness to us actually wants our very best. When you deserve the the wrath of God, and in this truly absurd transaction, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God. He becomes the propitiation for our sins and in exchange grants us his garment of righteousness so that when God looks at us, he no longer sees his rebellious enemy, but rather his beloved, perfectly obedient son. We run to him, not away from him. And furthermore, when we realize what God has done, we begin to trust that his way is better than ours. That his laws are not arbitrary simply for him to flex his authority like some sort of power-tripping divine dictator. But rather that his laws come from the heart of a father who is for the good of his children. Guys, when we understand this, what what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf in his perfect obedience and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, when when we understand that, and then we entertain the condemning words, I must be a disappointment to God, know this, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy because that's putting us in the position of saying God's grace in my life is on my terms, not his. And that's not the way it works. That's not the God of the Bible. My struggle um, for what, I again, I would say probably 25 years of walking with Jesus was like, okay, like reassuring, like I know, I know Jesus is my only hope in this life and the next. But the way that that like sense of God's disappointment in me, you know, it's like I, I'm at the grocery store and like, well, I know, you know, I, I know this one guy in my life, like he shares the gospel with everybody in, in, the, in, in the grocery store in the line, you know, like, like, well, he must really love Jesus and must really care that People who don't know Jesus are going to go to hell. And so, like, why don't I do that? Why don't I have the courage of that? Or this guy, like, he just gave all of his money away and gave it to the poor. And, like, like what? well, man, like, I, I, I get, try to have nice clothes. Like, am, am I even a Christian? Like, like, those types of words of condemnation. Like, am I a coward in, in, in not wanting to, you know, tell this person about Jesus? Like, am I even in him? Those words of condemnation would often result... In me even questioning my salvation. Not because I thought any of those things earned me salvation, but because I was like, is there enough proof that what I say about my trust in Jesus is my only hope in this life and the life to come? Is there enough proof in my life to demonstrate that my faith is real? That's the tension. Is there anybody in here who can relate to that? You don't have to raise your hands. I already know there are. 
So that was my struggle for 25 plus years in by God's grace and by his kindness, and actually it was through a friend, a fellow pastor of mine down in Ames, um, who had this just inexplicable joy about him. Here we go. He just was just this carefree man who loved Jesus, loved to talk about Jesus, loved the scriptures, and just didn't seem to struggle with this thing that I was struggling with. And it was through some encouragement from him that I got to this place where I, I just finally like started to picture. Like I don't, I don't think this is actually the way that this plays out, but it's the picture that I have in mind. It's like I imagine standing before God one day, and you know, it's it's like I'm I'm coming to like the judgment seat, right? And and um and I'm there, and, and it's almost like that proverbial question gets asked, like why like why should I let you into my heaven? Again, I don't think that's the way it actually plays out, but like. That's the thought that was in my head. It's like, why should I let you in my heaven? Like, what evidence is there that your faith is saving faith? And it wasn't until I got to this place where I was like, I got nothing. <laughs> like, I got nothing. There's li- like, there's, there is nothing. Anything that I would put there in front of you to suggest the evidence, like, like I know it's tainted. I know, I know it's tainted. but I'm with him. I'm with, I'm with the one who sits at your right hand. Like, if there's any hope on this day, it's, it's him. And he's got enough evidence for the both of us. He's got enough evidence for the both of us. He's my only hope. And it was like I felt the shackles just come off of me. Like, that's it. Like, that's it. That's, I'm, like, I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. So church, if you, like, if you feel like you're a disappointment to God, if you were at the center of the gospel, you would be. <laughs> you would be a colossal disappointment to God. But the best news about the gospel is that the person at the center, his name is Jesus and he became a disappointment to God for you so that his Father in heaven could forever delight in you, completely independent of anything that you or I would do, fully dependent on what Christ has already done. So imagine being face first on the ground before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and with tears and anguish and exasperation in your eyes, you cry out, I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. And then feel the nail-pierced hands, the scarred hands reach down. Say, I'm, I'm worthy enough for the both of us. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't want these to be um, theoretical words here today. But I want there to be liberation found in this place. And I want that because I know that that's what you're about. You're about freedom, releasing us from the chains that come from sin and from condemnation, the lies that the enemy whispers to us, 
who are we? Who are we to call you friend? Who are we to be a part of your church, your bride? Who are we to be a part of your mission? But Lord, we thank you that you stand as our advocate. You do battle against the adversary on our behalf. You have conquered the grave. You have conquered sin. You have earned our righteousness for us. You have willingly absorbed the wrath of the Father so that we might escape it. Jesus, it's the greatest news in all the world. Lord, I pray we would believe it today and we'd believe it tomorrow and we'd believe it the next day and we'd believe it the next day and for the rest of the days that you grant us as we walk on this earth until we see you face to face, may we cling to it with all that we are and all that we have as our only hope in this life and the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.